that only means this particular study is ending. But we come in, in Lord, I've heard some of the stories, and I, I, I know your spirit's been working in people's lives. And we just pray that again tonight you speak to us, challenge us. But Lord, most importantly, prepare us for tomorrow and the days that lie ahead. This can be a, almost like an alternate universe why this study's going on. And we experience you and we experience this growth and we see things differently. And then the next day comes. And it's so easy to revert back to where we were 13 weeks ago. And I just pray that, that tonight you just give us a view of things that carries over. That when we wake up tomorrow morning, well, we see things differently than we did Thursday 13 weeks ago. And in that process, you just prepare in our hearts a plan going forward of how we're going to continue to grow in you and how we're going to continue to be your people in this fallen world. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, all right. Hey, here we are. Last week, we did uh, 11 and 12 this week, right? Okay. Two of you did, at least. Uh, so... Uh, so this is the last week, and, and there are some things that happened in the last week that happened because it's, well, the last week. Um, and we are going to go to the material, but we're also going to talk about what happens going forward and how do we um, really hold on to this that we've experienced over these weeks. But before we do anything, for the last time, we've got to review, and, and the whole point of these reviews is to just etch these images in your head I know many of you are, are visual learners. Uh, for all of us, the, you know, we can tell by the ad companies that visualizations really matter by how they do commercials and they do uh, ads. So this is kind of our way to just imprint some of these thoughts in our heads so that we can think about it going forward. And we started with this, this whole idea of us being distant from God. Doesn't mean we're not in a relationship with him. But it is not the relationship maybe that he fully wants or that hopefully we really want. And there's all kinds of reasons we keep him at a distance. A lot of it's control, a lot of it's trust, a lot of it's just, well, the way we do things and the way we were taught to do things. And the goal is to, to shorten that distance and to grow closer to, to the triune God. And the persons, of if, if you take nothing else away, I've heard this from many people, People have been Christians a long time. They just hadn't thought of the triune God as three persons. I mean, almost everybody can say it, three persons, one substance, or one being. But they just don't think of them as persons. And that is critical. You can't relate to a chair very well. You can't relate to an inanimate object or a power or a force or whatever. These are persons. We are relating to persons. The Father is a person. The Holy Spirit's a person. Jesus is a person. And, and just to understand that if we don't see it that way, well, what are you relating to? When I say, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You say, yes, do you see Jesus Christ as a person? Do you have a relationship with God the Father? Yes. How do you see God the Father? Well, I don't think of him as a person. Then you don't have a relationship. Not like the Bible talks about. So just capture that. Keep that. Then we talked about how it's, you know, we get a little Jesus we get, you know, we bring Jesus in our life, we get a little cross, and, um, and that's kind of good. Okay, I think I'm done. Check that box, I'm saved, all good, that's all I really cared about, I didn't care about living for Jesus Christ, I don't care about anything, so I'll take care of this world, Jesus, you just take about care of heaven, and oh, by the way, here are my requests or demands for heaven, because really I'm going to manage things there too, so here it is. But that doesn't work. I was talking to somebody, this day, I mean, we were just going... What is it that makes us think we can control our lives when everywhere we look, control of our lives is what causes the destruction and pain in this world? I, I, I don't, how, how do we miss that disconnect? If somebody hits you overhead with a hammer, you don't go get them a bigger hammer, give them that, and then stand there and say, okay, try it again. Yet that's what we do. 
When we say we're going to control our lives, that's what we do. We take a hammer and we hit ourselves. Well, that felt so good, I think I'm going to do it again. Wham. Wow. Okay. I really need to do this again. Wham. We saw that, we'd go, there's somebody with serious mental health issues. But it's who we are. Until we take the hammer out of our hands and we walk up to Jesus and say, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to keep hitting myself over the head with a hammer called control because that's what I've been doing. And what does that require? That requires putting Jesus Christ at the center of our lives, truly at the center of our lives. And that is so critical. And you've been hearing me say it over and over and over, and I know, I know. Some of you go away and go, yeah, 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 that'd be nice, but I just really can't do that. Really, do we have any other reasonable choice to at least try? To try to surrender? To try to put him focus more? Try to move toward him from us being in control and us being the focus for our lives? Again, I mean, the, one of the most famous Christian formation books is called Desiring God by by John Piper. And the, and the shocking thing, of, I mean, the book's fine and it's good, but the shocking thing is he says, okay, forget about glory. Forget about it. Just do what's best for you. Just do what's best for you. Do your own best interest. Just do what's best. And that's what, that's what God, that's what Jesus says. Forget everything else. If nothing else makes any sense to you, just do what's best for yourself, and that is to surrender to Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we get wrapped up in all this, you know, glory of God, which is important. If you know Piper, Piper, glory of God and, and the sovereignty of God is his two themes. But even if that doesn't make sense, it's what's best for you and I. Why wouldn't we do that? So, and then we have the Erlenmeyer flask. Okay, if nothing else for this class, I've gotten so I say Erlenmeyer flask just naturally without saying that other word, which I'm not going to say because then it'll cause me back to saying that after all those years. And really, this is uh, just, just a critical visualization of how do, we, how do we put God first? How do we give God control? We just empty ourselves of ourselves. All those other influences. You know, it's stunning to me, I, you know, not this crowd, because you guys are way, you know, more spiritually advanced than most of the people I interact with because you're in this class. Um, that was a joke. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it is true. But, you know, somebody will come up to me on a, on a you know, let's say a Sunday morning or whatever, and, the, and they'll talk to me, and I can hear in what they're saying the things that are influencing them. You ever think about that? People will come up and they'll say something and I'll go, oh, I know where you got that from. Because I've heard that said or printed or whatever or quoted, you know. And we are a collection of things that are influencing us. Now, I also know when people walk up and say the, you know, correct spiritual terms and that they don't have any knowledge of that meaning. And some of you, you know, you've experienced that. You know, I'm not always a good. You know, if you ever wonder why on a Sunday morning there's not a crowd around me. Why there's like usually nobody around me? Because people will come up and they'll say something. And go, well, what does that mean? I mean, in the, the text, I mean, you just quoted the Bible. In the context, what does that mean? And then they, you know, start drifting away. Remind myself not to talk to him again. We are a collection of those things that we allow ourselves to be influenced by. And as we empty ourselves of all those things, things and start letting God be a stronger influence in our life, we draw closer to God. What a shock. You know, I, I used to do, used to do, you know the prayer exercise? You know, you're not supposed to, you know, pray for anything. Years ago, I used to do another exercise, even more controversial, and that was to take a week and, um, and try to close out all the other influences in your life and focus only on the Bible. In other words, don't watch the news, don't, you know, whatever all those things are. 
Oh, my goodness. Okay, you want to find out your idols? There you go. People just, so I had to stop it. You think there's rebellion on the prayer thing. This thing got ugly. Um, so I've never done it since. Maybe I should bring her back. But it, it's, just, it's just to help us understand how our routines or that which we bring into our lives powerfully influence it. And it can be family members. It can be any number of things. It doesn't have to be. And, and what is all that collection called in the Bible? The world. And what's the number two enemy of God? The world. And I'm not saying necessarily enemy in priority of importance, just as listed. So as we fill ourselves with the enemies of the kingdom of God, we got to ask ourselves, why are we doing that? You ever watch like, like a, a movie and, and it's a, you know, maybe a spy movie or something, and, and you know this person is the bad spy from whatever and here's the good person, and the good person is being influenced by the bad person, and they don't know that they're working on the other side, and you want to scream and go, no, don't do it. Don't listen to him. He's really working against you. Don't do it. He's going to cause you to be destroyed. Stop. Don't you understand? Sometimes I think, pretty sure that's what God does. Stop listening. Don't you understand? They don't have your best interests in mind. They're my enemy. And thus, if you're in my kingdom, they're your enemy. Stop listening to them. When we talked about this tea account, this was so profound. Out of all this review, this is one I spend the least time on. This was the most profound thing in my whole life. When I, when I do that, and I would suggest doing that you know, annually or even quarterly, where am I spending my time? And just really, is that of eternal value? I'm not saying you don't have to do things on the left, but is that 90% of your time? And it's all going to pass away? I mean, if you invested in an asset, you know, we used to always say in my old world, we'd say, you know, are you building, you can either build nut worth or you can build lifestyle, but it's hard to do both. Because you're either going to consume your money or you're going to invest your money. The left side is consuming your money, consuming your time, consuming your assets. The right side is building net worth, something that has lasting value that you invest in. And we always just tell our people, build net worth, don't build lifestyle. And, and it's the same thing here. It's build something that has eternal value, that has a worth, not something that's just consumed. And then this one, which is probably the one we spent the most time on, and you'll probably see this again going forward. Starts at the top. Knowing, knowing God. If you truly know him, you can't help but love him because he is love. To love him is to believe him, and to believe him is to trust him, and to trust him is to obey him. And we've got to stop this short-circuiting process of saying, oh, I know him, so I'm just going to obey him, and I'm, that's how I keep him at a distance, and I really don't have to go through the process of actually trusting him. And that becomes our problem. When people say, well, I just I can't obey him. I just, I, I just can't do that. Well, this is usually the problem. We can't do it is because we don't really trust him because we don't really believe. If we really believed, you would do it. Again, I've used those, that analogy of the burning building. If you really believe that, nobody would not do it. It just is how we're wired. If you believed what, what the Bible says about and you try, that would cause you to trust him, and if you trust him, you're going to obey him. It just is the only logical thing. If you don't obey him, then we've got a problem with this whole circuit. Some words, short circuit. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you don't love him. So we've talked about that. And then this, some of you, I, some of you faced this already in the last few weeks. Some of you mentioned it. You kind of come, you know, you're going through this, and all of a sudden things are happening. Now, some of these things are happening be, because, you know, they're happening. Some of them are, they've always been happening. You just haven't seen it. All of a sudden during the study, your eyes get open. And you come to this point, and it's called, what, Christ is a belief, right? I'm going to choose God's way or my way. Man's way or God's way? What am I going to choose? 
And I always love that. It happens in every class. People come, oh, I can't. I got to make. I go, here you go. Real life. The rest of it's all just been, you know, ink on a paper. Now you got to figure out how you're going to live your life. And I say, if you fail the crisis of belief while you're in the class, <laughs> well, it's not going to get any easier when you're outside the class. And we face, we, the, the trouble with this is it happens all the time. So we're, we, just miss, we just think, oh, it's, you know, oh, life just got busy. Life never gets busy. Life is busy every second of every day, and it's no different day in and day out. It's just how we choose to live. What are we choosing on that day? Are we choosing the world? Are we choosing God? I mean, Teen Challenge guys, you're in kind of, you know, that cloistered little world. Right. And, 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 and Teen Challenge guys talk about what happens when, I, when I'm out there. Okay, there's no different. The world in and the world out is the same. You are the difference. Yeah, if you think you walk out and somehow you become different, then the situation has changed. But you're the same person in as out. That situation is not going to make a difference. So, so many Teen Challenge guys will talk to me and they'll say, okay, oh, man, when I get out, oh, I don't know Dude, forget that. That's just external environment. You're the determining factor on what you're going to be. You and your relationship with God, God's bigger than the world out there. You have to decide, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Do I have the Holy Spirit? He is greater than anything out in that world. So even though I'm entering a different environment, I am the same child of God. So that environment is not going to defeat the Holy Spirit that lives in me. So don't do that. Don't get all obsessed with it's going to be different out there. It, the environment, doesn't determine you. You, in Jesus Christ, determine who you are. So he says this. Because, you know, if we walk... Oh, okay. <laughs> this is good. That was good. Come on, I was transitioning into a new slide. You had to see it coming. So if I walk, wow, we were doing good there. We just kind of lost that last line. That's why I'm trying to slow you down. Because sometimes when you get going, there's power in numbers. Okay. Think, you know, why, why do people put things to songs? Because it's easier to memorize that way. So think of yourself as a chorus, okay? So let's get that last. Well, do you want to start at the beginning? Because then we'll get that last line again. Okay. If we walk. Now, don't forget, there's another one coming up. At a time you don't know when it'll just spring upon you. So. so he talks about this. He says this in the opening of this. You cannot be in relationship with Jesus and not be on a mission. What does he mean by that? Sure I can. I sit in the back row. I get out the door as fast as I can. My relationship with Jesus Christ is between me and Jesus and doesn't nobody else and I don't have to talk to anybody and you know it's just it's what it's all about and that's the way it's going to be and I don't want to talk to anybody that says otherwise. His point is what? If you're following Jesus Christ, the Bible's fairly clear. Now you don't have to go around you know evangelizing everyone and talking. In fact, please just don't. <laughs> Most people make a mess out of it when they try to quote the Bible. and What you got to do is go live a life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Just live a life. And, and if you are living a life, you're going to be different. You just are. It's the way it goes. And as you are different, people are going to go, gee, you're different. And you, you can take that personally, or you can say, oh, that was also a joke, um, 
you can say, well, yeah, you know, I, I kind of see things differently maybe than, than other people. Well, why is that? Well, I kind of trust Jesus Christ. And then they'll lead to do one of two things. Well, one of three. One, they'll, they'll say, yeah, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus too, and I go to church. Or they'll walk away. Or they'll go, yeah, but you know, three months ago, you were different. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I just took this, this class, Experiencing God. And I've been a follower of Jesus Christ, but all of a sudden, you know, I just started seeing things differently. And I've really started to trust God more with my life. And that's, guess, influenced how I see things. And in this discussion tonight, we're going to talk about um, koinia and, and how we relate to different groups. And we're going to, we're going to take koinia in its, its classic meaning, which is fellowship within the body. We're going to talk about that. But we're also going to talk about the neighbor aspect and how are we... How do we relate to those outside of what we call the global church? But it's very critical how we live out, how we live on a mission uh, out in the world. So let's talk about this. Koine Greek, fellowship often translated. You know, a lot, of, a lot of Greek, you know, especially in Hebrew, a lot of Hebrew terms, we got nothing. We got a Hebrew term. We look at how it translated in other, and we kind of go back into meaning in what that word thinks. I, I know you think in a biblical language, it's just like it says, the cat chased the dog. And in Greek or Hebrew, there's that many words, and you just say the cat chased the It just isn't that way. Um, foreign languages don't exactly line with other foreign languages. So koinia is one that, w- that we, we generally see in the word fellowship. It, it has a, if you were going to look at the semantical range, it has a much broader meaning than that. But what we talk about is this concept of how do we relate to those uh, in the church. Um, Sometimes it's easier for us to see. We are brothers and sisters. The term brothers and sisters means, comes from the concept of family. Concept of family is because we're, we're adopted into the family of God by coming to faith, right? Ephesians 1, we're adopted, you know, we're we're. Forgiven, redeemed, adopted, made holy, all these things. Ephesians 1 talks about all these things. Adopted is one of them. And as we're adopted into the family, if we're truly in the family, then, then we have what? We have a father, but we also have these brothers and sisters. Also, following this familiar theme out, what's Jesus then to us? Our brother. I know, really kind of messes with us a little bit, but that concept, and we're going to see that in Romans, by the way, as we continue on, we get into some of that wording. So brothers and sisters were in one family. So everybody who is in Jesus Christ, everyone that's been redeemed, everyone that is in the process of being you know, saved or through the process of salvation in the broadest sense, is our brother and sister. And, and we're told over and over that. And, and in fact, I want to turn, turn with me to page 231. 1 John is, you know, don't read 1 John. It'll just mess you up. I tell you, you know, he is, if it's the same guy, which we kind of believe it is, we kind of, we do, we here at Timberwood, believe, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John, for the letter 1 John, wow. I mean, there's no place does anybody lay it out as strongly as he does. Okay, if you don't this, then you're not this. If you do this, then you're not saved. If you know that, you don't know. What? And he's got these lists of these. I want to read through these. Talking about now brothers, okay? Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. That means not saved. What? So if I hate a brother... If there's a brother I'm not in proper koinia with, proper fellowship, you're saying what? It's the same as Matthew 18. If there's anybody you haven't forgiven, you will not be forgiven. We kind of gloss over these things. I always, again, not the most liberal or literal translator of the Bible because I think there's one. If we literally translated this, 
Oh, you know how many people would, I mean, we'd wipe out half of who we think is saved. I mean, it's, it's just intense. And I'm not saying that these aren't, shouldn't be literally. It's just, wow. Next one. This is how we know we, who are the children of God are, who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. What? Are you kidding me? That sounds like, like zero margin of error, right? Whew. We know that, uh, that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. We have passed. For, you know, Okay, in our little form, um, you know, for membership, how do you know you're saved? You know, quote, this should be it. Well, because I love all my brothers in Christ. There is no one I don't fully love. I want to see that. I've never seen that. In all the membership interviews I've done, I've never seen anybody write that one. There it says right there. That's the proof of whether you're saved or not. Do you love all your brothers who are in Christ? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Wow. Are you sure, John? Really? Let us love one another. You know, I mean, really, think about that. Think about that. You know how many brothers in Christ tonight will not eat and have no place to live? Millions. And yet we, we have an abundance of. In fact, we have more than we could ever spend in our lifetimes for most of us. The whole concept of inheritance is just, you've got to be kidding me. That's the stupidest concept in the world. And yet, we read this, and, and we don't flinch. We don't even, okay, wow. And yet, we, not, we acknowledge, we stand in front, in front of Jesus Christ on the day of judgment. Yeah, I mean, it's tough stuff. What do we do with this? It's tough stuff. And in that process, we at least have to stop and think about it. What does it mean? What does it look like? What is it? What, what does God call us to do? Our problem is most of us do one or two things. We, we look at it and we feel really guilty and we go, oh, God, I'm so overwhelmed by it, I don't know what to do. Or we rationalize it all away. What God wants, it, it's, it's no different than, than how we react to this. I can't get there from here. I don't know how to do that. Well, try it one step at a time. I should get a slide that slowly moves this person over multiple years closer. Okay? Yeah, you don't have to feed the whole world. You don't have to get rid of everything you have. You don't have to wipe it. But, but something, just one step. You know, the biggest obstacle to growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ is we go, oh, that's too far. Okay, just take a step. Just take one step. Just take that one step. See what happens. Don't try to jump over the whole thing. Again, we've talked about this. You're going to run a marathon? Okay, all right. I'm going to try tomorrow. I'm going to run 26 miles tomorrow and see how it goes. You're going to fail, or you're going to hurt an awful lot, or you're going to do both. When we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to grow over time. This is another one. Just all these. Just You know, you're at odds with, with a brother in Christ, and, and, and you're not, there's... There's bad things. Don't go, okay, fine, we're just going to like overnight make it all good. No. Just seek the Lord. Seek what he's having you do, how you'd grow. Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if they love one another, God lives in us and his love is made us complete. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. Really? Oh, well. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen... Without love, God, whoever he has not seen, or who he has not seen. So, again, book of John. You know, we think James is like a straight talker. John makes James look like a timid guy that's just kind of laid back. I mean, John is intense. So this whole idea of the global, the global brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, anybody in Christ is our brother and sister. That's the biblical definition. But most of us don't have, you know, a lot of interaction with the 
let's say, 2 billion self-identified Christians in the world. But we do have interaction with local Christians, you know, people in our sphere of influence. And, and, and the idea is, if I'm in conflict with somebody, I'm in conflict with somebody, and, and I'm going to be in conflict with them until they're no longer in conflict with me. But that's not what we're taught. We are never justified in doing the wrong because of the wrong done to us. It's just, it, we're just not. There's, there's nowhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, where it talks about it's okay to be based on what they did. You can rationalize your behavior by what they did. It's, it's just nowhere. It's, in fact, it teaches just the opposite. So in Koine, we're, we're to be in relationship. We're to not have enemies. We're, in fact, what does the Bible say? You know, we talked about this. I don't even remember what study. Probably 1 Corinthians. Taking communion. You're not supposed to take communion if you have any conflict with anybody in the body. You're, take, you're calling down the judgment of God, is what Paul says. The judgment of God on yourself if you take communion, if you're in conflict with anybody in the body. Wow. That seems a little much. I don't want to bring down the judgment of God on me. Yet that's what it says. See, what do we do with all this? I mean, really, what do you do with... I mean, mostly what do we do? We go to those passages we like, and we avoid those passages we don't. So what do we do? The trouble with Blackaby is he puts a bunch of those passages in this thing, and then we've got to deal with it. Very pesky, if you ask me. bunch of us see uh, things this way, and this is the Catholic Church's view of, of the relationship, that the church is between us and God. And, and from the church, Catholic Church standpoint, it's more important the other way, that Catholic Church is between God and us. In other words, all the grace of God flows through the church, okay? So the church actually holds the grace of God, and it only flows through the church. So if you ever hear a Catholic, you know... Um, if you don't go to Catholic Church, you can't go to heaven. That's because of the grace of God. You cannot achieve the grace of God uh, unless it comes to the church. But this is the way a lot of Protestants look at it, too. Their whole relationship with God is mediated through the church. But we're, all, we're Protestants, so, so we don't have that anymore, right? So we have the priesthood of all believers. We don't need the, the church. We have direct access to God. You know, priesthood, in other words, we're all priests. We all can approach God. Okay, so that's how we look at it. The problem is there's people that really generally just look at it that way. It's just between me and God. I don't need anybody else. I'm not responsible to anybody else. It's just me and God. Except there's nothing. You'd have to, you'd have to throw out two-thirds of the New Testament to come up with that concept. So if it's not that, and it's not that, it's that. And what it is, is we do have access. We are Protestants. We, are, we do believe priesthood and all believers. We have access to God. But the church also plays a significant role in our relationship with God. It isn't us and God and then us and the church. We aren't the center of it. It's, it's God works through the church. God works directly through us. We work with the church. And so it's, it's kind of a um, communal type um, relationship. So the people that, that say, you know, tell me a relationship with Jesus Christ while well, I go to this church, okay? Which one of these would that be? That. I, that isn't good enough. Sorry. And then there are those that say, well, I, I don't go to church, but I'm a good follower of Jesus Christ. All I need is Jesus Christ. I don't need no church. No, that isn't right either. It really is this. And that's a biblical example, or at least my best depiction of the biblical example of what it means to be a relationship with Jesus Christ and be a part of the church. Now, churches can look different ways, okay? But generally, I mean the church. I don't mean some, you know, affiliation of something or other. I mean, you know, we live in a, in a country where you can actually go to church pretty freely. There's a lot of churches in the area. You know, I wonder, you know, small towns, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, well, where did you go to church? Well, pretty much the only church in town. I go, oh, come on. You know, maybe, uh, yeah, no, it was the only church in town. Really? Well, there was a Catholic church, but I went to the Protestant church. I said, there's two churches? Yeah, well, not a very big town. I go, what would that be like? Okay, now in the cities, you know, I mean, you can go to, you know, within, what, half an hour, you can go to probably 20, 
evangelical churches. And up here, you still go to a whole bunch of them. What would it be like if you had one church to choose from? be tough to church shop, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd have to kind of be vested in that church. You know, I always think some people come to Timberwood or wherever church they go. They go to Timberwood, and they got, they got a foot in and maybe half another. But they always got an out, you know? It's kind of like how some people live married life, you know? Well, as long as this works for me, I'm here. But, you know, if it doesn't, I'm just going to go bail and go somewhere else. And, and we, we kind of feel that about church. No, that's not you people because you're in this class, so you got to be... But we need to commit. Now, that doesn't mean we, we commit to the church no matter what it does. I mean, if we go off la-la land on some theology that's totally not biblical, I'm not talking about that. But, but we need to be committed to that church. We aren't just got one foot in and one foot out, and we show up under every Sunday and we'll say, well, we'll see how they perform for me today. Because if they don't, then I'm just going to go find another church. That isn't what we're called to be. In fact, that's the opposite of what we're called to be. So then we're going we're gonna to move on, and we're going to talk about a different kind of koinea, which really isn't it's how we relate to the world. And we're going to look at um, Matthew uh, 22, which he quotes, but he only quotes the first part, and then he throws a John quote in. I, you know, I know what he's doing, but it gives the wrong impression. If you know a Matthew 22, 24, and I'll just read it here real quickly. But when the uh, Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, two different groups, um, they hated each other, but we don't have time to get into that, who gathered together, one of them said, a lawyer, so a person versed in the law, that would mean somebody that's in the Mosaic law, that's what lawyer means, asked him a question to test him, Jesus. Teacher, again Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, of the whole Mosaic law, which is the greatest commandment? He knows the answer, Okay. It's going to be the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. And Jesus says to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, that's what this guy thought was going to be said to him. The second part, okay, is what he probably wasn't counting on. And a second is like it, and a second commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets is all this, what we call the Old Testament. In other words, all of Scripture hangs on those two commandments. Now, in the Luke version of that story, Luke 10, what happens next when he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself? What happens? Anybody know? Come on, it's a great story. Who's my neighbor, right? So this guy, you know, he's really, wow. You know, some guys just don't see it coming, you know? They're like, it's like fishing where you just got the bait out there and that idiot just keeps nibbling away. So he says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes in and tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and you know, what I love about Jesus is he just brings them in, right? He's telling the story of the Good Samaritan, and then he asks him at the end, well, who's the neighbor? Well, the guy's sitting there going, uh, I really don't want to be in this because I'm going to look bad. Well, yeah, the Samaritan, his arch enemy, the person he hates more than anybody else in the world. And so his point is that the neighbor is anybody, even the person who is your arch enemy. And arch enemy, you've got to understand about Samaritans and Jews. They're not our enemies just because they don't like them or there's a border dispute. They hate them because how they believe, and they have, Jesus even says this, corrupted the faith and law of the Jew, God's Mosaic law. They corrupted it. They corrupted the worship. They couldn't come down to Jerusalem to the temple, so they had Mount Gerizim, they built a temple. So, so they, they worshiped the wrong place. They kept the wrong law. They had the wrong scripture. They did everything wrong on spiritual terms. If there's anybody I should be able to hate, it's somebody that has corrupted the truth of God. And yet that's who Jesus Christ uses an example of. Here's your neighbor, who you're supposed to love as yourself. 
I, you know, I love, you know, when I grew up, I grew up mainline denomination. And so I, I heard this, this passage taught. I mean, today I'd, I'd probably just stand up and start screaming, you know. But back then they said, well, you know, we're going along. We're supposed to help those people and da-da-da. That is not what it's talking about at all. Are you kidding me? It isn't about going along the road and somebody's in an accident. You're supposed to help them. Sure, help them, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about something so much more powerful than that. And yet that's all you got, Mr. Pastor. Are you kidding me? But I didn't do that at 10. I didn't really even understand it at 10. our neighbor who are we allowed to hate and hate okay i'm not talking hate as in the you know a welling up of emotion i you know we're talking about much more subtle we're talking the way we can demonize people or people groups the way we can look down on them or how we can elevate ourselves or how we can actually feel righteous by saying how bad those people are emotional hatred just in the moment you know Kurt Maurer comes up and punches me and when I come to I just hate him that was a joke come on that kind of emotional hate okay that's 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 situational we're talking systemic a Jew didn't hate a Samaritan because they did anything to him they hated them because they were Samaritans. And everybody knows a good Jew hates Samaritans. And it's that embedded systemic hate that comes out of being, well, different. And again, if anyone was righteous in their hatred, it should have been the Jew for the Samaritan. And Jesus, I assume, pretty much knew what he was doing by picking that example. And we have tons, tons of examples like that in our lives today. In fact, in, in my brief light, lifetime of 64 years, I'm never sure, I've never, I'm not sure I've ever seen as much hate as we seem to have going on right now. And it's, and it's justified because we're right. Well, that's exactly how the Jews saw it. Why did the Jew hate Samaritan? Because the Jew was right. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. The woman at the well, the Samaritan, yes, you worship incorrectly. Yes, you worship in the wrong place. You worship the wrong thing. You, worship, you hold the wrong law. So Jesus knows what he's talking about here. And yet still, who's he use as an example for the Jew? The Samaritan. You think you're justified. You, you think there's a people group or there's a, anything out there, anybody that you think you're justified in demonizing and hating, hold it up to the example Jesus Christ just gave. And the only way you can say is that you don't understand the difference between the Jew and the Samaritan. Now, that doesn't mean we agree, but we're supposed to love them love them as we love ourselves. Again, this is the unit of stupid commands because it's really hard to get our minds around. It's, it's great to say, yeah, that's great, Pastor, about living for God, and yeah, that's great, I should read the Bible more, and yeah, that's great, this. And then we get to these things, and we go, oh, oh. it's a little harder to say, Amen? It's a little harder to say, yeah, I'm justified in because whatever. The Jew had a list of justifications, biblical justifications, a mile long. You know, the, the Samaritan comes about when they try to rebuild the temple. When they came back, who was opposing them? The people that eventually became the Samaritans. Who corrupted the law? The Samaritans. Who worshiped in the wrong place? The Samaritans. Who were the arch enemy of the people, the chosen people of God? The half-breed Samaritans. Half-breed because they were a combination of Jews and the resettled people from Assyria. There's just nothing we can come up with that is going to trump that relationship. 
And yet he says, that's our neighbor. You know, we'll say, yeah, okay, I understand. I got, I got to love my brother and sister, okay, fellow believers. Okay, oh, it's not always easy. You know, there's that person over there that just really, whatever. But now you got to tell me I'm supposed to love people outside? Are you kidding me? There's only so much love I got. And those people don't really, you know, deserve my love. Again, don't bring it up with me. Those are the kind of teachings that I talked about before. It's always easy to, to, to hear uh, on a Sunday morning and amen all those things internally that we agree with and take all those notes that justify our position. But it's these things that we got to hear. You know, you know when, you, when, you're like, when you're in school, and, uh, okay, it's been a while for some of us. Some of us not so long because we late bloomers in the, uh, in the spiritual realm when it comes to seminary, but you're studying for an exam. Well, if you, if you know something and you spend all your time studying that thing you know, you're probably not going to, you got to go find out what you don't know, right? What are the practical exams for? Show you where you need to study. You know, if you're a golfer and you hit the driver really well and you're short, terrible in a short game, you go practice driver all the time, guess what? Your score's not going to get any lower. We've got to focus on those things that we struggle with. A lot of times, there are those things like this. And you know what? It isn't just one place in the Bible. They're all over the place. And so we just kind of wrestle with those kind of things. Ah, we did 231 when we read through those passages. So when we go out, you know, Ephesians 5, we talked about this, you know, how do you, how do you be a follower of Jesus Christ in all aspects of your world? In Ephesians 5, it's marriage, parenting, and work. Those are the three. That's why it's in that order. How do we do that? In all, or could, you can add anything to this. And again, we, we often struggle. I, I use that example of, you know, being a Christian in the workplace. Well, you're either a Christian or you're not. And it doesn't matter the context you're in. How can I be a follower of Jesus Christ as a parent, how can I be a follower of Jesus Christ? As a, well, you either are a follower of Jesus Christ or you're not. There isn't a special way that you're a follower of Jesus Christ in a particular context. You are, you're not. You just apply it to that context. If you want to know, if you really struggle with, I don't know how to be a follower of Jesus Christ in this context, well, then stop at the context and go back to the beginning of that question. I don't know how to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the problem, not the context. So, now what? We're at the end of the study. Some of you, most of you, have, have actually been spending time doing this book. So you've carved out time in your life, okay? And you've been coming to this class. You've carved out time for this class, an hour and a half. I'll tell you what, what happens a lot of times. A lot of times, people go, yeah, you know, i got to keep growing. But I need to take a few weeks off. What happens when you're working out and you take a few weeks off? A year and a half later, when you go back to working out, it just grows. Don't do that. Just keep doing this. We had a study on, on, on Wednesday nights two weeks from now. I mean, really, you just get one week off, two weeks from now, Gospel of John. Make some uh, suggestions here. A lot of times, you know, you go to class, you don't have to do anything. But you've been studying. You've been studying, and then you come to class. You can always get a commentary on John. These are short, and, and you think, oh, I don't know. We're going to take five months. Five months? Five? Five months to do the study. you got five months to read a book. i got bigger books, by the way. i got a lot bigger books. Just pick up a commentary. Read along. Read a few pages. You get a little background on that. And, so, and, and if you're, if you're going to take John... There's a sign-up sheet at the information table. Even tonight, you can go sign up for it. It just kind of really helps me to know what we got in the way of numbers. If you want to see the closest thing, the two things that have influenced my life outside of the Bible the most is experiencing God in this book. It's called Conform to His Image. I've taken so many people. Many of you in here have gone through this book. It is the best overview of spiritual formation I know of. It is a textbook, Okay. Big print, but it's a textbook. What it also is is a fantastic reference book. It's a great way to, to read through it, but also a way to go back. If you want to look at 
you know, topics of, of, of um, you know, spiritual disciplines or on loving God or how the world, it just provides all kinds of ways that after, many people have read it multiple times. I've read it 11 times. A lot of that is because I'm taking people through it. And once you read it, you can just keep reading it. I use different color highlighters so I can see, you know, that I've, I mean, on the 10th time, I'm still highlighting things that I didn't highlight before. I just strongly recommend it. It's called Conformed to His Image by Kenneth Boa. It, you will not be, if this spoke to you, this is very much like this in a different format, okay? Lastly, if, if you really want to capitalize on what you've done over the last 12 weeks, within the next 48 hours, two days, write a spiritual formation plan. Write a plan for yourself on what you're going to do. If we aren't intentional, nothing happens in our lives. If we kind of go through our life just seeing what's going to happen, well, i got to see what's going to happen. Really, you know what's going to happen. You knew what was happening prior. You knew where you were. Drifting is not going to get us toward Jesus Christ. Intentional living is. Do a spiritual formation plan. Literally, I'm going to read this book. I'm going to go to this study. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this spiritual discipline. I'm going to pray this. I'm going to do, you know, just be intentional and then write it out in a planned format where you can literally on Sunday or Monday go, what am I going to do this week? And then do it. I have these groups, SFAT groups on Monday night, meet for three years, for three years, every week. They're reading books, then we're discussing, reading books, discussing. Three years. You think, you know, you get the routine, right? You guys only been at this for 12 weeks. Three years. They get to the end of three years, and then it all, like, stops. And they have to write, they don't get out until they write spiritual formation plan. And yet, there's an inertia there's a reason why you were spending less time with God, maybe, than you were during experiencing God. Well, short of any overt action on your part, you're going to go right back to that. I'm saying just don't lose the momentum you got in these 12 weeks. Just keep it up. Just keep going. Write yourself a spiritual formation plan. Now, I know many of you go, well, you know, I don't need no plan. I'm doing fine. Okay, okay. You find the guy by the side of the road, and, and you know you, you kind of go, "Hey, can I give you a ride?" Sure, and you give him a ride, and you go, "What are you going to do tomorrow?" No, well, I don't know. Probably the same thing. Really? Come on, let's do something different. We've experienced something different. Just keep that up. Keep that momentum up. Okay, let's go in our discussion groups.